0: Are you are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast, I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. I've entitled the message today, The Life That I Now Live. Galatians chapter 20, or chapter 2 rather, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, I just pray that you would bless your word to our hearts today. Lord, we have the assurance from your word that it will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you purpose. And so, Lord, it is with great confidence that we stand with your word today. Many believers are feeling worthless and ashamed. And shame prevents us from having an intimacy with God. There's a difference between between guilt and and shame. Guilt is what takes place when a person realizes or acknowledges their wrong, their sin, and their failure. True guilt should prompt the person to want to stop what they're doing that is wrong, and turn away from their sin, and turn to the Lord. Satan wants us to feel guilty for sins that God has forgiven. Do you know that? The things that God has wiped clean, a a clean slate, and the devil reminds you of some of these things that you did, and some of these things that you said, and he tries to make you feel guilty for it. Isn't that something? He wants to condemn us for our past. He wants us to ignore the fact that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. Now, we've all got a past. And uh, most of, of our past before the Lord came into our heart. Is not worth talking about. Isn't that right? He wants us to ignore the fact that we are new people in Christ. We talked today about being a new creation in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I've experienced that in my own personal life. Have you? How many people have experienced that new creation? Oh, come on. I believe there's more than that. Come on. Don't be ashamed. It's a good thing, you know. It's a good thing to have a changed life. Amen. We have a blessed assurance that we're not under condemnation. Know what the Bible says? Romans 1, 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you get that? The, the, the no condemnation is for those who do not walk according to the flesh, but you walk according to the Spirit. Now, we talked a while ago about strongholds. And false guilt is what Satan throws at us after the sin has been repented of and we have been forgiven. And he still wants us to feel guilty Or to see ourselves associated with our past. Remember what Jesus said. To the one who. Had been caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's how Jesus looks at the person. Who says Lord. I'm sorry, forgive me. If you allow yourself to meditate upon guilt, it will turn into shame. And guilt, if not properly dealt with, turns into a stronghold called shame. Meditating on false guilt brings strongholds. And I have talked with a lot of people over my years of ministry who find it hard to forgive themselves. God has forgiven them. Their sins are gone. But the old enemy plays on their mind and they still remember that stupid thing that I did. And they relive it. Day after day after day. But folks, you don't have to do that. It's a false guilt. It's a false shame. You do not have to be there. You do not have to live there. Jesus has forgiven you. If we, think, if we continue to think about our past failures, it will wear us down spiritually. Spiritually. And before you know it, you're losing that joy. You're losing that spiritual energy. And you just begin to fall away. You begin to drift away from what is so important. We get a distorted picture of who we really are in Christ. Providing, of course, that we have repented of our sin and turned to God. Shame is an imagination that must be cast down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And when we spend time communicating with God, and communication we know is back and forth, right? If just one person is speaking, that's not communication. But we pray, we talk to God through prayer. And God talks to us primarily through His Word. When He speaks into your spirit and you get a spiritual revelation, it's going to line up with His Word. There's no confusion. You don't have to worry if you're going to hear the wrong thing. If you are praying and reading the word, you will hear from God. God will speak to you in your spirit. A stronghold, imagination, is an image in your mind that is incorrect. Because you accepted Jesus into your life, you are forgiven. If you have, uh, let me say it again, if you have accepted Jesus into your life, you are forgiven. And because you're forgiven, you are justified. And justification means that it is just as if you had never sinned. As far as God's concerned, it's just as if you had never sinned. In God's sight, you stand before him, just as if you had never sinned. And then the blood of Jesus plays a large, large part in this. If you see yourself as a failure when you're actually a blood-washed child of God, you've got an imagination that needs to be dealt with. Shame is very destructive to our relationship with our Lord. There is a good reason that Satan wants us to feel like failures and dirty sinners. It is living in unbelief to doubt the finished work of Calvary in your life. Folks, there's power in the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Not some sin, Not most sin, but all sin. The Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus was shed so that we can confidently have an intimate relationship with our Lord. Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near with a true heart in a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience And our bodies washed with pure water, the water of the word. Amen? God wants us to draw near to him with a clean conscience that has been freed from dead works. We're not working to be better. The blood of Jesus Christ has taken care of that. The word of God assures us of that. We don't have to work for forgiveness. The blood of Jesus works for the cleansing of our, of our sins, and it works to keep us clean. The once and for all time sacrifice has been made. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Paul, the chiefest of sinners, said that he was serving God from a clean conscience. In 2 Timothy 1.3, he says, I thank God whom I served from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. The past is forgiven. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. I believe the word. I choose to believe the word, regardless of what thought comes in my mind. I don't know about you, but when I meet up with some people that knew me when I was younger, much, much younger, um, they remind me of some of the things that that I said and some of the things that I did. But Jesus said, don't have any record of that all of that stuff is gone worship is an intimate way of expressing our relationship with god the bible declares that declares that we should approach him with a clean conscience that has been purged from sin hebrews 10:2 says the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. We have been purged. Now, oil people, especially if you run around work with pipes that have had oil in them, hydrocarbons in them, and you have to do work on them, you're going to get somebody to weld on the, that pipe or something, you know what it means to purge. When I worked in the oil business, we purged with nitrogen and sometimes with steam. We had those big furnaces, and when they had to be shut down, there's always a chance that maybe one of those burners were leaking natural gas. And so, before we lit up a furnace, we would purge it for at least a half an hour. We would pump steam into that thing, and then we would use a, 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 a um, machine <laughs> to check, to make sure that there was no gas in that furnace before we lit a match. So if we lit a torch and there was still hydrocarbon in that, in that furnace, we could have an explosion That could rock your city. Amen? And that's what God has done. The blood of Jesus has purged us from our sin. There's no more sin. Don't let the devil beat you up. You say, but pastor, I was doing pretty good until the middle of this past week. And I really, I really messed up. Well, you know what you got to do. You just ask God to forgive you. You know, God put a wonderful verse. I love this verse because I have used it so many times. It's a verse that he put in there just especially for believers. He said, if we sin, he's talking to believers, and he said, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. And so he purges us from our sin. Any other suggestion is deception. Deception is a lie and it's the opposite of truth. And, And the Bible says, John 8, 32, You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The truth of God's word that says that the one who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. That is something that can set you free. Free from a a guilty conscience. Free from shame. Because you have been washed in the blood of Jesus. It's impossible to worship God in spirit and truth if there are imaginations hanging around in your mind that are contrary to the truth. Such thoughts deny the saving power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from every sin. I want to give you a short version of my testimony this morning before I close, and I pray that it will encourage some of you here today to be stronger in the Lord, or maybe even for the first time to follow Jesus as your Savior. I was born into a born again, Pentecostal family, the only boy of five children. A younger brother, Evan, died at the age of three months. So I grew up always wanting a brother, but never having one. The closest man I have to a brother lives in Newfoundland today. Every time I go back there, one of the first people I go to see is Eldred Williams. Our home was filled with love and honor and respect. I lived a very sheltered life for the first five years of my life. When I started school, that soon changed. The main issue for me was that my family's religion the religious beliefs conflicted with most of the people on the island that I grew up on. The Pentecostal church started as a mission on Woody Island and the full gospel message was rejected by the mainline denomination that was there. Uh, When the foundation was laid for the first Pentecostal church Some people got together and tore it up in the night. When the people came back the next day to work on the church, the foundation was torn up and all over the place. The law became involved, and this left the bad feelings, and it was passed down to the children. And guess who felt the brunt of the criticism and the abuse? Little Hayward. Whenever mom dressed me in good clothes, good clean clothes, they would call me the pastor. And uh, so I became Pastor White. We actually had a pastor called, his surname was White. And Pastor Snow, we had one called Snow. And Pastor Vader's. And then we had a lady pastor. And I thought, well, the teasing will be over. They won't call me her for sure. But then they called me the mission man. Because the mission was a more of a derogatory term. They wouldn't call it the Pentecostal church. They called it the mission. And so many of them called the pastor... At the time, whoever was pastor, the mission man or the mission woman. And so they called me the mission man. This teasing and taunting followed me throughout my early school years. I acted up in class so I would have to stay late after school so that all of the kids would be gone home by the time I left school. I would have to stay in probably for a half an hour sometimes an hour, because I was unruly in class. This way, I could avoid getting beat up by my schoolmates. Recess time, I would be forced to fight other kids by the bigger guys. I soon learned that a quick punch, a quick hard punch in the stomach, took my adversary out of the fight. But I didn't like hurting people, and so I acted up some more. So I very seldom got out for recess time. Recess time was probably about a half an hour or so, but I I got very few of those. Soon nobody was interested in fighting me, but I didn't like hurting people, so that's what I did. At age nine, I received Jesus into my life, and I experienced that new creation experience. A young nine-year-old boy, I remember the next morning getting up and walking to school. I felt so clean, so light. I could hear the birds singing. Everything was so, so different. And you say, at nine, yes, at nine years of age. I believe in childhood salvation. Now, as a Christian, I couldn't fight back the kids anymore, but kids can be cruel. And a group of boys and girls surrounded me in the winter, and they said, you've got to curse now, you've got to swear or we're going to strip you naked and throw you in the snowbank. And so I cursed that day. And right then and there, I gave up serving God. You see, I didn't know, I didn't understand the grace of God. I stopped God serving right there, serving God right there and there. Now I took on the role of a tough guy. And I learned to play Hawaiian, had learned to play Hawaiian guitar and acoustic guitar from the pastors that pastored our, our Pentecostal church. But now I began writing poems and songs and filthy stories for anyone who would care to listen. And soon I had a following. It was almost like a gang leader. At 14, I rededicated my life to Jesus in the United Church, in the United Church service, the evening service. They would have at what they called after services, after the, their regular liturgic service was over. A year later, I was back into my old ways again. At 17, I rededicated my life to Jesus. A year later, I was back to my old ways again. From age 18 to 21 was a slippery slope of spiritual decline for me. If you were to drop in on a drinking party in some places in Newfoundland today, you would still hear a number of the songs that I have written, and the number of the stories that I made up 50 plus years ago. And you could never mention any of these things in a church. There was one incident that I can remember during my rebellious years. Looking down the barrel of a Lee Enfield 303 rifle. The magazine was full. And at that time it was you could have ten, ten bullets in the magazine and one in the breech. And this young man was loaded drunk. About a half an hour before that there was a fight. And his brother had gotten beaten up. And he was intent on shooting us all. Only God knows what would happen if he had pulled a trigger. But We got the gun away from him. The gang began breaking up. Most of the guys were getting serious, seriously dating and getting married. When my best friend got married, I began to rethink my vow never to get married. One day, while walking to the post office, my friend and I passed this beautiful girl on her and our eyes met. I gave her a wink and... She gave me the most fascinating smile I had ever seen in all my life. My heart was smitten. I asked her father for her hand in marriage. He and her mother gave their blessing, and 52 years later, Effie and I are still happily married and madly in love. This next little part is a little hard for me to talk about. But our first year of marriage was a bit rocky. We were learning things about each other that love is blind to, you know, when you're dating. And then Effie became a born-again Christian I was not pleased, to say the least. And for the next couple of months, our home was a lion's den for Effie. I was, I was just plain mean. My words would make her cry. As our granddaughter Libby would say, I was bad to the bone. And she would, Effie would say, I don't understand. You know, I might as well give all this up. I don't understand. You were a Christian. You know what this is all about. I thought you would be happy for me, seeing that you once served God. At that point, the Lord would remind me of Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, which says this, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and you'd be drowned in the depths of the sea. I wanted her back the way that she was but I didn't want to be responsible for her backsliding. I would often wake in the middle of the night and hear her softly crying because the man she had promised her life and love to was being so unloving and so unkind. I would comfort her promised never to oppose her faith in Jesus anymore. The next day I would be beating her down with words again. But Effie was praying. My mom and dad were praying for me. Our little Pentecostal church was praying for me. So I didn't have a chance. Or I had a chance. Then there was a group of teenagers who had received Jesus recently into their hearts. And they would come to our home and ask me biblical questions because they knew that I had at one time been born again, been a born again Christian. That was very sneaky. Because I began to share with them what I knew. And it sort of felt good. And before I knew it, my heart began to soften. I finally went to church with Effie and rededicated my life to Jesus. That summer, we were both baptized in the water of Bacentia Bay, part of the Atlantic Ocean, on the shores of Woody Island, Newfoundland. That evening, in the evening service, Effie received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. It would take me nine years later before I received that same glorious experience. A downturn in the Newfoundland economy led us to Alberta in 1977. 1986, while still in my fourth year, no, first seven years later, in 1983, we answered a call to full-time ministry. In 1986, while still in my fourth year at Vanguard College, it was called Northwest Bible College at the time, Completing my Bachelor of Theology and Effie doing her first-year program, a full-time position at Safeway as well, we took our first church in Merithorpe. We pastored there for five years. Next, two years in Drumheller, then nine years in Kalmar, and this coming March will be 15 years in Cold Lake. God has been good to us. That, my friends, is the life that I now live in Jesus Christ. There are many untold stories in this outline, and God is in every one of them. And I would not change one second of what the world has to offer. How do we defeat or overcome guilt and shame? We believe the word. We ignore the lie because the sin that has been dealt with and washed away, and we have been forgiven. I have done and been involved in enough wicked things that if I didn't know what the Word says and if I didn't believe the Word, I would be a mental case today. I would be a wreck. But Jesus Christ has forgiven me. I'm a child of God. I'm a part of the family of God. And if God could do that for me, folks, he could do it for you. I could give you some real, real horrid stories of my life. But as I said in the beginning, it's not worth talking about. It's all under the blood. It's forgiven. Jesus has set me free and he'll do the very same thing for you. Therefore, we refuse to meditate on something that no longer exists. So stop focusing on a problem which has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. Meditate on the truth in God's word concerning your past sin and failures. Isaiah 1, 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. First John 1 John nine says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far shall ye, He remove our transgressions from us. If I focus on my past, I could never be an effective ministry of the gospel. I could never be your pastor if I focused on my past. But today I am forgiven and I've been set free. Now that our past has been forgiven, we need to leave them there and press forward towards the things that God has for us. The Christian life, folks, is not complicated It is a walk of faith and victory. There is no guilt or shame for the child of God. Let me read Romans 1.8 one more time. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit make this true to your heart today. Folks, God wants to do something in your life. We're going to go into communion right now. And uh, we we never invite anyone to partake of communion if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is for believers. If you are a believer, we want you to partake of communion with us today. If you're not a believer, I want to say a prayer today, and I want you to pray after me if you want to be a believer. And then when communion comes along, you can do it without any fear of contradiction with no condemnation whatsoever. Amen? Would you like to receive Jesus into your life today? Why don't we all who know Jesus pray along to help anyone who wants to pray that prayer for the first time? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you. I thank you that your word says that the blood of Jesus Christ God's Son cleanses us from all sin. Your word also says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I'm calling now. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Wash me in your blood. Make me a part of your, your family. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. If you prayed that short prayer, you are now a born-again believer, and you are ready to receive communion. Amen? Now, read your Bible every day. You don't have to read chapters. Read verses, okay? Pray every day. You don't have to make one-hour-long prayers, You can pray five-minute prayers, ten-minute prayers, whatever. And if you get real blessed and you feel like praying an hour, go ahead. Amen? But talk to God just like you're talking to anyone else. The only difference is when you're talking to God, we call it prayer. Amen? Praise the Lord. So welcome to the family of God. Let us know. Let us know. If you've prayed that prayer, we want a record of those who give their heart to Jesus, amen. Now I'm gonna go down here, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask those who've been uh, uh, appointed to come and pass out to Emlins. We're going to remember our Lord's life, death and resurrection in a little while, amen. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.